Welcome to the Operation Crest Podcast. I'm Matthew. And I'm Julia. And we're the co-hosts of today's episode. Operation Crest is an effort from the 957 Project to empower high school students like us to preserve memories of Americans' veterans and share their stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Each of these interviews will be donated to the Library of Congress to be preserved for future generations. And you can hear other episodes of this show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to stick around at the end of the episode to hear us reflect on what we learned during the following conversation. Learn more at www.the957project.org slash Operation Crest. And now, let's begin the show. Today, we're interviewing retired Colonel Wendy E. Odin. Colonel Odin served in the United States Air Force from 1989 to 2019 as a bioenvironmental engineer. Her last assignment was at the department chair for the Occupational and Environmental Health Department at the U.S. Air Force School of Aerospace Medicine at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Daytona, Ohio. She was responsible for enhancing human performance and reducing total exposure health risks through occupational and environmental health education, consultation, knowledge management, laboratory analysis, and the innovation for the Department of the Defense. Colonel Odin received her commission through the Reserve Officer Training Corps program and degree in environmental engineering at Pennsylvania State University in 1989. She served in various roles as a bioenvironmental engineer, including flight commander, chemical, biological, radiation, and nuclear specialist, staff officer, international health specialist, deputy command surgeon, medical operations squadron commander, major command bioenvironmental engineer, and department chair. Her assignments included Bergstrom Air Force Base, Austin, Texas, Ramstein Air Force Base, Germany, Peterson Air Force Base, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Charleston Air Force Base, Charleston, South Carolina, McDill Air Force Base, Tampa, Florida, Langley Air Force Base, Hampton, Virginia, Stuttgart, Germany, Joint Base San Antonio, Lackland, Texas, Joint Base San Antonio, Randolph, Texas, and Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Daytona. Her deployments took her to the Republic of Georgia, Royal Air Force Base, Akrotiri, Cyprus, Al-Udid in Qatar, Kuwait, Iraq, and the United Arab Emirates. While not working, Colonel Odin enjoys spending time with her dog, Brittany, family, and friends, as well as traveling to scenic places. Colonel Odin is married to retired Chief Master Sergeant Troy Odin. They live in a cabin in the mountains in Campon Bridge, West Virginia, near Wendy's family in the Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia area. They also have property in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, where Troy grew up and much of his family still lives. Colonel Odin, welcome to the show. Thank you. So our first question is, if you remember any of your instructors, did they give you any helpful advice that you remember and would recommend to any students? So instructors, yes. I can think back to ROTC days when I was at Penn State and learning just the ropes of what the military was all about. And we got lots of advice from them, um, you know, along the way, uh, both from a day-to-day perspective on how to live life and also from a military perspective, uh, learning the history as well as how to be a leader uh, in the military uh, when we actually went on active duty. Uh, So advice that I would take, I know you're going to ask that question later on, but I think some of the advice that I'm going to give you later is some of the advice that I learned from the folks there. So I'll save save some of that, but it really was how to live life uh, from a day-to-day perspective and then um, being in the military, how to uh, really embrace that culture 
and be a leader. So what made you first like decide to join the military? Originally, I went into the Air Force because I received a full ride scholarship to pay for college. And so I had a four year scholarship and I owed four years to repay for that scholarship. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was pretty cool to go in the Air Force, but that wasn't the original intent or to serve in the military. It was how do I get my way through school and pay for tuition? Um, however, you know, originally going in, I thought, oh, I'll just serve four years, do my time, and then go do something else. But I really, uh, after getting in, um, appreciated the ability and privilege to serve and the camaraderie that came along with it and the people that I worked with. And so, uh, I, as you know, I went well beyond the four years that I actually owed back. Would you choose a different branch if you were given the option to? No, I wouldn't. I, I really think the Air Force was a great match for me uh, in terms of the culture and and just the experiences that I had. Um, I, you know, I, I really, um, I guess, what, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, I admire anybody who serves in the military, no matter what branch or what service you serve. Uh, but for me, I think the Air Force was the right choice. Mm. Um, so do you have any experiences that are memorable from uh, boot camp or anything like that from your training? Any uh, days or training experiences? Um, for officers, we don't really go through boot camp per se. We do the ROTC program, uh, or you can go through OTS uh, or do like a direct commission where you do a, a boot camp when you first come in. Uh, but for me, my boot camp was actually the ROTC program at Penn State. Uh, we did do like a four week survivor train or survival training um, during the summer time frame. And uh, it was, you know, kind of like a boot camp, if you will, uh, where we went in and, and um, formed up in flights and we had different tasks to do. Uh, and then we went out um, and did the survival training in the woods and ate bugs and all that good stuff <laughs> and got yelled at when we went to the dining hall, if we weren't square in our corners. Uh, so, you know, that was a, a good experience. It was tough, um, and, but made us uh, resilient and, you know, taught us discipline. Uh, during your service, how many hours or of a day in a day did you typically have of downtime and what did you like doing in your downtime? So, as you know, serving in the military, you are on duty 24 seven, seven days, you know, basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. However, for my job, we typically did a, the normal hours were Monday through Friday from 7.30 to 4.30. However, however, we typically worked a lot longer than that because we had things that would pop up. Also, if we had to do a response or get called in on the weekend or if we had training weekends, you know, that would uh, require additional time. But there was always time to have some downtime, take time to you know, to enjoy the area, whatever location I was stationed at, and to get together with friends. And I think, as, as you noted in my bio, I really like um, exploring new places. And so that gave me the opportunity, like in Colorado, to go skiing on the weekends, for example, <laughs> um, enjoy that, to go hiking in certain places, and just to explore the local areas. 
Um, so you were stationed in a lot of different and very interesting places. Where was your favorite place? That's an interesting question. A lot of people have asked me that. And I always come back and say, I was blessed to be in all the locations. I don't think I have a favorite. I like different things for each location. And I always tell people, no matter where you're at um, in the military or in life, you know, moving around, if you make the most of the location that you're at and really uh, approach it with a positive attitude, um, you can, you will uh, be happy and enjoy the things around you and the people around you. Uh, what did it feel like being stationed in different areas? I liked it uh, because you got to see the different uh, customs, the different culture, uh, the different, um, you know, seasons, all of that. Uh, so I enjoyed, uh, you know, the adventure of seeing those different locations. Do you recall your first days in the Air Force? I do, yes. So my family lived in the D.C. area, Northern Virginia, and so I traveled across country to Austin, Texas, and my, I had never been to Texas, and so my vision as I'm driving through is, okay, I'm going to see all kinds of flat land, no hills, and those tumbleweeds rolling across the roads, no green grass, and so I was pleasantly surprised when I got to Austin. There are some hills, there is green grass. And I did not see many tumbleweeds, you know, going across <laughs> the road. But um, first impression, I mean, it was just getting there. The camaraderie is what I noticed the most, you know, that people were very welcoming um, being, you know, coming into this first experience in the, in the military. They were willing to show you the ropes. Uh, they understand that you're brand new and it's a, it's a different environment. Um, so I, I thought that was awesome. Um, I felt welcome. I felt like I had an opportunity to excel and to achieve things. Um, so it was a great experience. Um, you took a very interesting path towards uh, bioenvironmental engineering and um, health specializing. Um, so what led you to that? Did you know going into the military, this is what you wanted to do? Great question. So I'm, I was always technical in terms of subject areas that I liked. So I knew I liked math and science. I knew I wanted to be an engineer, but that was about it. And then going into the Air Force, I really wasn't sure where I would end up. But I did know I wanted to use my background and my education on the job and apply it every day. And so, you know, they have these uh, booklets, if you will, or information now with all electronic that you can look at all the different specialties in the Air Force and see how it matches up to your background. In addition, I actually did a summer uh, training camp where you would shadow an officer, active duty officer in the Air Force when I was still a cadet at Penn State in ROTC. And I went down to Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi and shadowed a civil engineer and, which was a really great experience. And he showed us what he did on a day-to-day -day basis with designing uh, a different um, engineering designs for facilities and buildings. And he also happened to be the environmental guy for the base. So there was a, happened to be a spill while I was there shadowing him. And so he responded to that. And I got to meet the other folks on site that also responded. And one of those uh, responders happened to be a bioenvironmental engineer. And so I had the opportunity to chat with them and learn about what they did. 
in the Air Force, and it really sounded like a good match to be able to apply what I learned technically to the job every day. Do you have any regrets looking back on your service from day one to the obvious day of retirement? No, not, not really. Um, I can't say I have any regrets. I, I would uh, tell people, maybe one thing I would say is that um, sometimes you have to learn to balance. And if, I think we're sometimes our worst, you know, we put it upon ourselves uh, in terms of sometimes being a workaholic if we know things have to get done. And so that would, would probably be the one thing that I would try to be a little bit more balanced. And, and um, as I went through my career, I would advise others to consider that, you know, to, to do that balance, because um, I thought that was very important. But no regrets. I loved it. Um, so uh, one of your lists of what you did was uh, Deputy Command Surgeon and Medical Operations Squadron Commander. What do those duties entail? So the Medical Operations Squadron Commander, I didn't do any bioenvironmental engineering stuff when I was doing that job. So I was serving as a leader to execute medical operations for the, the training mission at Lackland. So all the new folks coming in and listing into the Air Force and going through boot camp through basic training there at Lackland, uh, we provided medical support for. Uh, to ensure that their injuries were taken care of as they were going through boot camp, to ensure preventive medicine uh, was taken care of, such as vaccinations, to prevent, you know, whatever type of uh, colds and, and flu from traveling throughout their bunk area, that kind of thing. So I actually relied, uh, um, basically serving as a leader meant you gave the vision, you supported mm -hmm. your people, you made decisions, um, took care of your people, but allowed the folks that were underneath of you to do what they did best as the experts. So the doctors, the nurses, the techs, um, they were taking care of the folks there in basic training. So it was a great job to be in charge of and to be part of that mission. And then the other one you said was the uh, deputy command surgeon. That was a yeah. joint assignment. And so that was a, a small group of folks. I think we had maybe 15 of us together in that office. Um, and we worked to, to uh, basically execute the medical program for our area of responsibility, which was all of Europe wow. and all services. <laughs> and to ensure that you know, proper policies were in place like force health protection, uh, when there were contingencies and we had to plan for them, such as um, an operation that took place in Libya, for example. We would do medical planning for that and provide expertise uh, to ensure all of those things were taken care of and considered prior to the operation mm -hmm. taking place. Uh, so it was a great opportunity and assignment to work with all kinds of functional areas and um, the expertise from the different services. Hmm. How does your viewpoint now on the military or war in general differ from how it used to be when you first joined the military? That is a great question. Um, you know, I support, obviously, what the Commander-in-Chief directs us to do, and, and I did that for 30 years. Um, I think, you know, times have changed, so the war that we saw or considered um, the day that I was in is a lot different than what folks are experiencing now. 
I think it's a challenge and uh, keeping up training technology readiness is really critical to adopt to adapt to all of those changes. So this podcast is one that seeks stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork, as our name states, Crest. Uh, do you have any stories that relate to those themes that you would like to share? Sure. Um, I'm going to pick teamwork to share a couple things with you up about that. Uh, mm -hmm. So as you mentioned, uh, with my Air Force career field as a bioenvironmental engineer, uh, we provided health risk assessment to the base populace and emergency responders identifying what people were exposed to from the workplace, like chemicals and radiation or the environment, and ensure that precautions were taken and controls were in place to prevent people from getting sick, either short-term or long-term disease, like, like uh, cancer, for example. In other words, it was forced health, forced health protection so that people could do their job safely to achieve the mission in the Air Force. So at the base level, I was always in charge of a flight or a team of folks, about 10 to 20 people, that executed the Occupational Environmental Health Program, radiation safety and environmental monitoring, such as like sampling drinking water. Um, and we served as responders as well. And we wore those yellow suits that you've seen probably in the um, TV or whatever, and self-contained breathing apparatuses, that, you know, respirators to put on that we responded to uh, for hazmat spills or plane crashes or other incidents. Um, so some examples of the teamwork included, you know, we would go out to a workplace to do uh, and collect samples or take measurements. Um, and do a survey, such as uh, we would collect air samples for chromates during sanding operations while they were working on a C-17 aircraft, for example. Uh, we would crawl on the top of a building or platform to measure ventilation systems. Mm -hmm. Or we'd stand around a hangar with Radiax, which is uh, radiation uh, detection equipment to measure radiation levels while we're x-raying aircraft parts to look for cracks. And so, um, you know, this took a team to make that happen where you're recording all the information and the data and putting it together to do that health risk assessment. And same thing for the environmental health program. Uh, we would collect water samples and base housing for lead and copper. Uh, we'd make sure that the pool was operational. That was really important. People would not be happy if the pool wasn't open in the summer. Uh, we'd collect and analyze soil samples uh, for contents. Uh, we used lots of detection equipment, like we had our own gas chromatograph mass spectrometer uh, that we would actually analyze the soil samples uh, with. And sometimes that was really important when you were downrange and for folks that were living in tent city, uh, maybe not feeling so well and thinking it was something from their environment. And then of course, uh, response examples would include, like, the, like I said, aircraft crashes or hazmat spills. Back in the day when we had the anthrax scares, we would get calls from the post office to respond and analyze, you know, the white powder that they saw that was dusted on some of the letters or the packages. Um, but that was, a, again, a team response. Not one, just one person could do that. Um, you know, you had to use many times the buddy system um, to ensure that, you know, you're taking care of each other. And to really effectively execute that, it was a team effort. Um, so it seems like... Yeah, so a lot of teamwork went into uh, making your job possible. Is there any notable um, teammates that you had or notable people that you had uh, that you were working with that were 
very important to you and your service? I would say there were lots of those people along the way, you know, certain ones that you remember um, very keenly. Uh, one of the folks that I worked for, I was a, a captain, no, I think it was a major at the time. And so I worked for her and she ended up doing my um, promotions and also my retirement ceremony where she officiated. Um, so she did two of my promotions and then officiated my retirement ceremony. I just really um, learned a lot from her in terms of how you approach things with a positive attitude, uh, taking the most of every moment of the day to get things done, uh, being decisive, uh, you know, making things happen as a group, considering each other's opinions on things and just being really mm -hmm. professional. Uh, so she is one person that I, in particular that that uh, Becky Brown that I remembered uh, keenly and uh, for, you know, for time in, for my career. What did you do following your service and what does your day look like now? Good question. So I did take a few months off actually to uh, get some downtime when I retired, which was really nice. And we also moved from Ohio to West Virginia. So it gave us a, a chance to settle in. And the first thing that I did was I did a junior ROTC instructor job at Randolph-Macon Academy. And so that was a great experience. I got to work with two great people, Tina Lang and um, Matt Lesson, to execute that program there at the high school. And so that was a great experience. And it was being able to share some of the knowledge that I learned in the military over the years with the high school students there and really support them to make them better citizens and achieve their goals and dreams and, and do, do super things. So that was the first year after I retired. And then I decided to get back into the technical stuff that I did throughout my time in my career. And so I applied to be a contractor part-time for the School of Aerospace Medicine, which I was in charge of uh, for my last assignment, to support them and be a consultant and look at uh, occupational environmental health data and associated medical surveillance uh, for those that are exposed. Um, so I got back into the technical stuff and hoping that I'm contributing in some small way a little bit every day, even as a part-time person. If you had the chance to talk to yourself, perhaps in high school, what would you say to that person? What would I say? Uh, let's see. That's a great question. I hadn't really thought about that one. I would say that, um, you know, take, it would be actually some of the advice that I would give any young person. Um, and that would be to take advantage of opportunities that come your way and really jump on those opportunities. Uh, always have a positive attitude in everything that you do and uh, be really committed to become an expert and take advantage of the classes that you're in make the most of the time and learn as much as you can and really uh, um, strive to achieve at the highest level. And don't just, you know, don't just um, get by, if you will, because that will serve you well later in life. It seems like you learned a lot from um, being in the military and meeting all these people and being with these teams. Um, are you looking back? Are you glad that you joined the military and went down this path? I certainly am. 
Yes, I, I think, like I said earlier, the camaraderie is one of the biggest things. It's all about the people that execute the mission. And so that, that camaraderie is very unique um, in the culture and serving in uniform uh, for one purpose and, um, you know, making that mission happen. Um, so, yes, I would definitely do it again. I know we've said that you've gone to a lot of places, but how was the food? And like, do you have any related stories towards any of the food? That's a neat question. I like that one. So the food, it, it really varied. Um, I didn't really eat in the chow halls because as an officer, you don't typically do that. I did a couple times as a, a medical commander because we were allowed to go in with our troops and just see, you know, what they did every day as far as lunch, going to the chow hall, the dining hall, dining facilities. But uh, most of the time it would be just eating, you know, either facilities on base or, or more likely off base. Uh, but I think the, probably the, the you know, thing that stands out the most would be actually deployments and overseas locations and eating the local food. Uh, that was always exciting to try something different that was part of their culture. And, uh, you know, you just hoped, especially if you were going to a place that it was a deployment location that you didn't actually get sick from eating something that you weren't, you know, used to eating, but it was always neat to try uh, local things in, in uh, other countries. So I know you've uh, mentioned that you really love to travel and that's like one of your passions. Did you find that through the military or did you already have that? before joining the military? I would say probably more in the military. Uh, growing up, we did move around a lot. Uh, my dad was in the Marine Corps during Vietnam, and then he got out and worked for Mobile Oil, and he, we moved around with his job for Mobile. And so primarily the Northeast part of the United States. So I was used to moving and seeing new things, which I really liked. Um, so it started at a young age, but then it was more so in the military that I gained an appreciation for that. What advice would you give to young people in our generation listening to this interview? So a, a few things I would say, and a lot of these I take from being in the Air Force. Uh, so I would say live and, and commit to key principles and morals and in the Air Force, we always lived by the core values, which was integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all that you do. And I would say they were really integral to everything we did as airmen from a day-to-day -day basis. And certainly you could apply that regardless of being in the military and choosing what those morals and uh, principles were. And then when I, when I did uh, counseling or I did feedback for those that worked for me, I would always tell them these three things, have a positive attitude, be open to communication and give 110% effort. Don't just check the box and move along. And, and also remember it's all about the team would be the fourth thing that I would tell them. So I thought that was key and critical, not really related to what they're doing in the Air Force, but just on a day-to-day -day perspective. And I mentioned earlier about jumping in opportunities, and I think that stands true. Um, even if you don't think you have the skills to do it, you will surprise yourself if you dive in and commit to it and, and gain a lot of experience from it. Fourth, I would say keep learning and making yourself better. Uh, be the expert in your field. 
which lends to credibility, uh, but we never, we never stop learning. And so that's really important. As a leader, if you're in a leadership position, uh, provide vision and support and discipline, be decisive, and most importantly, take care of your people. Be that example. If you have people's back and treat them fairly and you care about them, they will respect you and, and go the distance for the team. And that's really applies to any team. And then finally, uh, work hard, play hard. That's always a advice I would give. Um, you know, I, I think I mentioned earlier, sometimes I'd be a workaholic, but having that balance in your life, spiritual, mental, physical, and social, and having the resilience to achieve that balance effectively is important. Wow. Thank you. Um, it seems that teamwork and the camaraderie of being in the military is really what um, kind of impacted you the most. And I think that's pretty cool that it was all about the teamwork and the people that you worked with. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share before we uh, complete the interview? No, I just really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation today. And I think what you guys are doing is great. I love the concept of Crest. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing that you're all, you all are doing. So I appreciate you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. So, Matthew, what did you think about the interview? I thought the interview was very interesting. I really liked about how she was able to have a medical background in the military while also having her official job title being bioengineer. I thought it was really unique and cool from everything else I've heard about the military. Yeah, that was interesting how many different jobs she was able to do between, what was it, bio, uh, medical, engineer, and commanding, and, um, you know, like, helping people coming into the military, um, setting up health restrictions and stuff. That was really interesting, all of the different um, roles she got to take in the military without even being in combat. Yeah, I also liked how she talked about all the different places she was able to visit, which mm -hmm. is extremely cool, having, being able to have different and unique experiences without touching a combat zone so is very unique in the military and I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine how many experiences she had in all those different countries, especially with all the different jobs that she did. Um, I think that's incredibly cool that she got to experience not only um, the health regulations and um, biomedical stuff in the U.S., but also what they did um, outside and in different countries and working with different governments for that. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, what I also thought was interesting was that like she really focused on um, the relationships that she made in the military and she found success through uh, like the people that she met. That's what her um, she loved most about the military was that like, the connections she made and the relationships that she formed between that. And I thought that was incredibly interesting and kind of inspiring how um, her, her focus was teamwork and like working with her medical team to make sure everything ran smoothly and yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it was like she had no days off when she talked, when I asked her about if she had any free time, she, what she did in her free time, she said it was never really direct, you work these hours, it was 24-7, 365, whenever we need you, you need to be on and she seemed very open to that concept when I asked her, so that's pretty inspiring how you can 
like me, like me, I would not be <laughs> happy with working every day whenever they need me, but that's inspiring how she was open and seemed to have adapted to that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, and she said she had no regrets. Like, she uh, loved the path that she did. I thought that was, like, um, and the woman that she talked about as, like, one of her friends and one of the people that she admired most of the military, um, how that, that was, like, I'm sure that's someone that she spent all that time around. So when you are spending every day 24-7 with these people, I'm sure you form incredibly close bonds and that's how you make that teamwork and that's how you connect with people and I'm sure that's what made her really enjoy the teamwork aspect of the military. Thanks for listening to the Operation Crest podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe and share. Today's hosts were Matthew and me, and our guest was retired Colonel Wendy Odin. The music was provided royalty-free by Coma Media. The questions were written by us, and the editing was done by our teacher, Mr. Finn. Until next time, see ya!